You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Check. There it is. Well, good morning. So parents are to give vision to their children, a vision that their kids will walk in. And I had a great dad who gave me great vision. So why, at the age of 16, was I walking out of Sunday school vowing never to come back? So today, Genesis 28, we're going to come back to that story, but Genesis 28 is aimed at young, overzealous Christians. What we're going to see is we're going to see a dad instill vision into his son, and his son is going to embrace that vision and begin to make his parents' faith his own, although it's a little bit messy. And I love getting to talk about this because I genuinely, I had a great dad. And I know that's not everyone's experience, but that was certainly my experience. Uh, and my dad, he passed away 17 years ago um, on a, in a tractor accident on our farm. But for 17 years, he really spoke vision into my life and set me on a trajectory to be the man that I am today. And so back to that Sunday school thing, what happened? Uh, I went to a summer camp. Actually, Nathan, if we get the lights up here. Uh, I went to a summer camp, and, uh, and God was moving at this summer camp. It was the first time that I'd really had God's word opened up and preached to me, and I was just eating it up. And, and God did a work in my life that summer. And I came back with this free New Testament. I still remember it, white with some blue on the cover. I think there's like a short little blurb by Max Lucado in the front or something. But that was, that was all I had for a Bible. And when I got back from summer camp, I wanted to study it. And I went back to my liturgical church in the Sunday school room. And I had a teacher that said, we're going we're gonna to study a book. It's just not the Bible. And like any sober-minded 16-year-old young male, I revolted. I just, I was like, no, like that is, I wanted to study scripture. And the teacher and I kind of get in a cordial argument. The results in me throwing a coup and taking half the Sunday school class with me as I walked out, vowed never to come back. My dad, he challenged me, and not that the walking out portion But he challenged me to not just leave, but to do something with that. And so my dad helped me get a spot on our farm where I could have those students come back the same night, same time, only we would be opening up God's word as best we could at that age to just study the Bible. And again, you might look and like, that's either a reckless move or a bold move, But it was something that I'd seen in my dad. See, what you don't know, the rest of the story is he used to actually teach that Sunday school, that same classroom, but was asked to not come back because he would open the Bible and pray with those kids. Ludicrous, I know. But the boldness that I took, I'd first seen in him. And I was making what I'd seen in him, his faith, my own. And my dad, he gave me great vision. He said, Stan, be a great leader. Push people to God. And he spoke that into my life. I'm telling you, I miss having that voice cheer me on. But that was my dad. And I'm saying, we all need guidance. We need guidance. In fact, on one of the slides, Proverbs says it like this, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. 
What he's saying is when people don't understand what God would have for them, when they don't understand the path, the direction that God would have for them, they cast off restraint, meaning they run wild. We need guardrails, and God wants to give them to us. And so whether your earthly father spoke vision into your life, certainly your heavenly father would want to speak direction into our lives. And for Many, perhaps you've tried every other direction, and I just want to lean into Genesis 28 and say, what would God have for our lives today? So that's where we're going, is Genesis 28, and we're going to pick this story up in verse 1, and and it says, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, and he said, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, the house of Bethulah, your mother's father, And take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, time out. God is setting up a people, and he told them to not intermarry with other people in the land. And so this is early on in the establishment of this nation, which would be later known as the nation of Israel. But he says, go back to the relatives, and specifically Rebekah's brother, and her her brother's name is Laban. And he's to go and marry one of Laban's daughters. Now, we met Laban earlier because, again, this is Rebekah's brother. And so earlier in Genesis 24, we have this on the slide. Laban was there, and he saw his sister get married off. And again, if you miss the story from Genesis 24, it's remarkable. But the servant who was bringing uh, Rebekah back brought out jewelry, silver, and gold, and garments, and gave them to Rebekah. And he had already given her a gold ring in her nose and gold bracelets. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. So Laban knows this family. In fact, he's got some ornament, you know, in his house from them. And so Jacob is to go back to Laban and see if he can marry one of his daughters, and I'm not trying to get ahead, but I can't wait till next week. We're going to see Jacob, whose name means deceiver. He's going to get cheated. He's going to get deceived. And so that's Genesis 29. But Genesis 28, that's set in the context. And so Isaac is sending Jacob out, and he says in verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a companies of people. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings and that that God gave to Abraham. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away. Now, time out. If you were here last week, you understand that that this is not the first time he blesses him. It just happened that the first time was actually on accident. He was being deceived. But this time, we see Isaac finally catching up with God's plan And he intentionally blesses and gives vision and direction to his son, Jacob. Again, this aligns with what God said before Jacob and Esau were even born. He said, the older will serve the younger. The younger is who I'm going to raise this great nation up. And so see the blessing he gives him here. He says, may God bless you. May he he, uh, make you fruitful, multiply you. ESV has this, would you become a companies of people? See, He speaks this blessing back into him that a nation would be raised up, that kings would come through this lineage, and eventually the king of kings, Jesus, would trace his lineage back through Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. 
But notice the intentionality. The first time was unintentional. Really believed that, that Isaac was trying to get around uh, what God would have to get to his favorite son, Esau, and do something. That's why he was trembling so bad once he got found out in the lie. But here, he intentionally calls his son and speaks his vision in this direction. He tells him what to do. Just as a pastoral point, parents, do you speak vision into your kids' lives? And not just one time, but, but do you remind them of the vision you'd have? And I understand that we are in a culture right now that would say, hey, just let your kids find their own way. I was eating at a place in town, and this is how it has affected our culture, where this waitress was telling me about letting their young child, I'm talking six years old or younger, find their own path and actually even get to determine their own gender. Parents, we're so like removed and we say, we think the best thing is, we'll just let the kid figure it out. We'll let them do it. And God gave them parents to guide them, to direct them. And so we see here that, that Isaac intentionally calls him to him. And I think about this and it resonates with my heart because the reality is, and again, I'm not trying to bring about fear, but the reality is that the vision that I received from my dad, it all came by the age of 17. Because after that, he wasn't with me. And I know when I talk like that, Luke, who's on our staff team, he's got a 15-year-old son. It's like, great, you've got a couple years left. A couple years of 14 going on 15. So two, three years left with Jackson. And after that, I didn't have a dad speaking vision. It's just this reality, parents, if you're not going to speak direction, you're not going to speak vision into your kids' lives, who's going to? That goes for dads to their sons, but moms to your daughters, you know them. You know what they enjoy. You know how God has wired them. Are you willing to help guide them and direct them in that? And I'm telling you, I think we have just this longing to have that direction given to us. And again, like Proverbs said, without that, we just run wild. And we have to try and discover this. How great would it be to have somebody that has wisdom, that has discernment, that's probably run down some of those wrong roads before, help save us and protect us from that path, right? There's got to be a better way. And so could we learn from that wisdom? And I know when you're thinking, it's like, well, they don't want to hear it. Man, I assure you, though, that it's what God would call us to, to purposely lay out good and godly vision, Helping our kids understand, hey, you should marry well, work hard, treat your spouse right, serve God, serve others, store up treasures in heaven. Those are the things that matter. And I'm saying grown children need that vision just as much as little children. How old is Jacob when he's being sent out with this vision? He's about ready to go get a wife. Like he's not a little teenage boy at this point. And so here you have a father who's aged, who's losing his vision, still giving direction in vision, not by sight, but just by inspiring his son to go and be about these things. Parents, please don't stop parenting. Your kids, your responsibility to share those things. I can't tell you the heartache that could potentially be avoided by simply just even opening up about your past failures. But here we are in the family of God, and there's, there's a number of people that never had parents speak that vision and direction into them. 
And so thankfully, God has given us a church family, and this is what he says to the church family. Again, it'll be on the screen. Titus 2 says this specifically in verse 3 and 4. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. Get this. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Notice that. They were to teach. They were to train who? The younger women. Proverbs would talk about this in 27 and 10 and say, hey, it is better to have a neighbor who's close than a brother who's far off. And so likewise, I think we can begin to infer throughout the rest of Scripture, older men are also to guide and teach younger men. So just by way of illustration, do we have any younger men or younger women in this room? And so here's what I'm going to ask. If you are 30 years of age or younger, okay, would you please just raise your hand high? Unless you don't, keep them up. Go ahead, keep them up. There's an audible gasp going on. Please keep them up. Only put it down if you don't need wisdom or direction, okay? (laughs) Would you, seriously though, this is the next generation that has their hands up, that need guidance, need direction. We have a multi-generational church for a reason because those of us with our hands up, You're young. Keep them up, okay? You're strong. (laughs) Need direction. And I believe with their hands up, they're saying, man, I would love that guidance. Will you give it? And understand, you probably, if you don't have your hand up, you're in the minority here. And I'm saying, how do you interpret what was just said in Titus? You can put your hands down. I know they're getting tired now. You're young. But how else would you interpret what was said? Saying older women teach the younger women. Man, if you've been there, would you please come alongside and guide them? And here's how you would do that. Is that you would invite these younger people, perhaps in your home. We see that Isaac proactively calls Jacob to him. Would you please Parent a little bit. Those in the family of God, invite them into your home. Even just that invitation communicates a level of love. Having them over for supper, I'm telling you, a way into their head and their heart is just through their bellies, okay? Not overly complicated. Man, if you've seen what some of these guys eat once they get outside of like dining services and stuff, uh, it, love them feed by feeding them. Here, here's another little trick. Ask them to coffee. Millennials, man, they eat that stuff up, okay? So if you can just take them to coffee, there's a, there's a quote, and I, it's been attributed to I don't know how many people. It's one of the pictures there, Nate. But it's a, a, a Howard Hendricks. I read it in his leadership book, Teddy Roosevelt, I'm sure. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If we would just simply care about them, ask those younger people. Sorry about that. Ask those younger people. What's going on in their lives? Show that we care in that way. Then that will be a bridge to just share what it is that we know. And I'm inviting you. Would you share your failures? Share some of the heartache and thus save them from making those same thing, mistakes. Man, that guidance in their life, when you show that you care to this next generation, it means more than perhaps you will ever know. Because, again, we're longing for vision. 
And we see in our text, and it kind of gloss over this to get to the next part, but we see that this is specifically given to Jacob, Esau. Again, I don't know how dysfunctional this family is where they're like listening in all the time. Esau hears the vision like, oh, marrying outside of like the people of God is not a good thing. He's already got two wives. And he's like, okay, therefore I'll go and I'll marry who it is that you said, dad. Like that vision leaks, and I know it's directed at Jacob, but even Esau picks up on it and begins to walk in that. I just know for me, having lost my dad, who was a great dad, sent me on a great trajectory, but having lost my dad, Paul Sabino, Mark Aaron really stepped in as spiritual fathers, spoke godly wisdom and truth into my life. Man, would you be that for others? And I don't want to bring anybody to shame, but I imagine if I asked those hands to go back up and say, how many of you have never had vision spoken in your life? How many of you have never had clear, godly direction given to you? You know hands are going to come back up, and so I'm inviting. We want to be a multi-generational church, and there is so much wisdom. And I would just say, those that had their hands up, can you make it easier on these people? I'm sure they wouldn't mind, you know, like if you initiated. And so if you are hungry, know that there are godly people in this church. And would we be able to interact? That's a lot of why we're doing the family fun day this next week. In fact, normally it's a potluck, just to be clear. We're bringing all the food, so they're just, you just come. Can you just come and we interact as God's people and mix it up and learn from each other? We see here, though, in the text, that, that Isaac gives such clear direction. Now, here's the thing. Although that direction is given, Jacob has to, at some point, respond to that vision and make it his own. And make it his own. And so, up to this point, we've seen Abraham's faith, trusting God, willing to sacrifice his only son. We've seen Isaac, his faith, praying out, crying out to God. But Jacob, we have not seen, we certainly haven't seen much godly come from Jacob at this point. And so at some point, he's going to have to turn and begin to take steps. And so here we see the first glimpse of any kind of fruit of faith in his life. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had put on her, that he had put on her head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Let's stop there. You got to understand, the events leading up to this place, Jacob, in some regards, is entering into the witness protection program. He deceived his angry, hairy, wookie-looking older brother, Esau, and uh, he took not only the, the birthright, but he stole the blessing. And if you missed that, I mean, Todd preached a great message on that last week from Genesis 27. There was dead goats and a, a Halloween costume like never before. And he deceives and he gets this blessing. And his brother is like, I'm angry, but the only thing that consoles my anger is I'm going to kill you. And so his mom said, you ought to leave because I believe Esau can do that and possibly will do that. And so she sends him out. And his dad's like, you're going out. Let me point you in this direction. Go find a wife from over here. And he gives him this direction. But he's entering into a bit of the witness protection program, okay? And so he's there because of those events. And so here he is. He left. I mean, their family is so blessed that entire kingdoms are coming to their family like, ah, uh, if you could like shuffle along because if we go to war and you turn on us, you're going to wipe out our kingdom. And so his family is so blessed. Somebody in our connection group is like, he's a rich kid. It's like, yeah, he's a rich kid. Like he had it all. And now here he is like going out into the wilderness. And I love it. It's like he slept on a rock for a pillow. Some of you are like, why, why do that? Like, why not just lay on the ground? But I brought a rock in. <laughs> Man, okay. I asked Joe to help me, and he grabbed this as a rock. Um, <laughs> it's big. It's heavy. And this would have been his pillow. Why, I don't know. I think the ground looks better. But can you imagine, like, he's out there, and he's laying his head on this for the evening. And he's laying there, and no wonder he's kind of sleeping light. Hello, rock. Uh, so I think that's when you do your most dreaming. And so he's laying there, and he begins to, to dream. Uh, and, and so what God reveals to him, these promises that, <coughs> excuse me, should sound familiar. And please try and wrap your head around this promise. God said, I know you're, you're wandering out in a foreign desert. But you, as a single person, you're going to inherit this whole thing. I got a map. <clears throat> you can look at the map. Rachel, can I get your water, actually? Sorry if you're a germaphobe. I certainly am, but I don't care at this point. Um, so you imagine the map. It, if you get over here, sorry. Uh, so uh, I'm going to take a drink. But you can try and find Israel in there. It's between Africa, Asia, all that stuff. <laughs> It is water. I was worried for a second. Uh, I owe you. Um, thank you. So God's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a country. Like that's the vision that is given to him. God's like, I'm going to give you a country uh, as a single person, and you're going to inherit this country. And so I'll pick one. Uh, for me, Turkey sounds good. I like Turkey in the country of Turkey. If I inherited, that would, that would be cool too. But this is like a stretch. Like you're a single person, not married, and God's like, you're going to 
inherit this land and your descendants are going to be like sand. I mean, they're just going to be like dust. They are going to be everywhere. And so this is this big promise. But again, it should sound familiar to the promise given to Abraham. Again, given to Isaac. And now God is speaking this to Jacob. And remember who God is giving this promise to. Is Jacob a worthy guy? His name means deceiver. Again, the goats. Again, the birthright, the bowl of soup. He's not, he's not a winner. But thank the Lord that he doesn't just pick winners. God is gracious. But notice, under what condition, under what condition does God give this promise? Do you see it there in the text? Go ahead and look. <coughs> under what condition? Do you see it? Trick question. No, you don't see it. There's no conditions given to this promise. Do you, do you see that in the text? Like, look with me. God's like, uh, I'm going to do this, and I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised to do to you. Irresistible mercy and grace. There are no conditions. There's nothing that Jacob needs to do to hold up the end. God's just like, I'm going to do it, period. And when God promises, he is a promise keeper, and he's going to do it. And so here he is, a deceiver, a, a, just a, not the nicest guy. And God said, I am going to do something through you unconditionally, dependent fully upon my mercy and my grace. Gives him no conditions other than I'm the Lord and I said it. Look at Jacob's response. Did you catch it? He says, how awesome is this place? <laughs> How awesome is this place? Like, this must be. And again, in his language, it's like, in verse 17, this is the gate of heaven. This place is amazing. This stone, it's the gateway to heaven. And so what's he do? He doesn't worship God. He doesn't thank God, but he takes a stone. He turns it up. This is all he had, mind you. He dumps some oil on it. Again, it's just one stone. It, no suggestion like that he builds it a little bit more. He just takes his pillow, turns it up, dumps oil, and he's like, this place, this stone. That's his grand gesture. That's his initial steps of faith is to turn the stone upright, dump a little oil on it so as to say, set apart, it's holy. Because this is a gateway to heaven. And then he goes on in the end of 22, skipping ahead, and he says, I'll give a full tenth to you. Everything you give to me, I'll give a tenth of it back to you. Now, you got to understand, this is a pretty small gesture to turn the rock up. But up to this point, it's the most we've seen from him. And the fact that he's giving back 10%. Again, what's he have? Apparently a little jar of oil and a rock. And the jar of oil is a little more empty now. Like that's what he has right now. And yet, 100% of what's going to come in can only be attributed to the grace of God. And he said, give me 100%, I'll give 10% back to you. Now, when I came back from summer camp, after God got a hold of me, I wanted everybody to know what God had done in my life. It's like, cool, so did you get baptized? No, I didn't do that. You told a bunch of people. I didn't do that either. This was my grand gesture, like Jacob. I went to our school gymnasium, and I went and, uh, on the bleachers to the highest point, and there's like a piece of conduit, like electrical stuff, kind of tucked in a corner. And I stood as high as I could. I took this big wad of bubble gum out of my mouth, 
and I stuck it as high as I could, and then I had a pocket cross that they gave us, and I took the little pocket cross out of my thing, a little metal one, and I stuffed it in the gum up there, and I'm like, yeah, God, you watch over me, watch over this gym. We lose a lot here, so if you could show up more, that'd be great, but this is... That was my gesture. That was my, I'm taking a stand. I'm with the Lord, and so I'm vandalizing the school to prove it. Uh, that, was, that was my initial step as, as somebody that's saying, man, I want to honor God. And I think he sets a stone up. It's what he had. I think of my kids, when they want to honor me, what do they do? They either make a picture or whatever they can find around the house because they don't own personally anything. But whatever they have, they take wrap it up in like some scrap paper and bring it in. You say, Daddy, I got you a gift. If you're the recipient of that, you know what you say? Thank you. So thoughtful. Because it's what they had. And I believe God was delighting in a piece of bubble gum and a pocket cross. I believe God delights in this gesture because it's something. And again, it might seem meager, but it's something. And I delight when we go and we count the change in the offering. Because to me, it says that there's kids participating in the giving here at Anthem Church. Connection Group, we're studying this out, and, and Jacob's 10%. Again, it might seem a little bit small. It's like 10%, 100% is from the Lord. And I would say 10%, that's a good starting point for giving. I don't believe that ought to be the end goal. In fact, I know a number of people their thought in giving is, hey, we're going to let our living determine our giving. And there's reverse tithers out there. They say, we're going to give away 90% and live off 10%. And it's not the main point of the passage, but it's worth noting that, again, when you wonder where this 10% idea comes from, here we see Jacob displaying that. And just this recognition that those that are blessed by God give back to the things of God. That's what it should be. And hear me say, if you're visiting today, by all means, be our guest. I don't know if you could find the offering if you wanted to, unless we pointed it out. Like, it is, be our guest, come and attend. But if you are one that would call this church your home, I would ask and invite you, in light of the text, that you would fund the ministry that is happening here. And again, at Anthem, we do have a budget goal. But more than that, I just want to see 100% participation from the kids all the way through our college, adults. We participate because people of God give back to the things of God. And Jacob responds here, and it's little steps, but they are steps. And God, again, gives him this unconditional promise. You're going to get a country. You're going to have descendants. Means probably in there, you're going to get married. This is going to be a great thing. I'm going to do all this stuff. You're going to be blessed. And so this unconditional promise, what's Jacob do? He puts conditions on it. God's like, I'm going to do all this. And the first thing he does is like, well, let me give a few conditions to this. It's like, what are you doing? No, but he does. In verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, if God will do that, and if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I might come again to my father's house in peace, if God, then, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be the house of God. And of all that you give me, I'll give a full tenth. What do you mean, if God? God keeps his promise. He's a promise keeper. 
God's saying, I'm going to give you a country. I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to be a nation. Jacob's response, if you could just spare my life and give me a little bread and some clothes on my back, God has all this. And Jacob's like, just this. And God said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And Jacob says, and you can be my God too if, if you do these things, then you can be my God. Now, he's taking steps, but he first meets God with these conditions. He says, God, if you do these things, then, then I'll accept you as God. I don't know if it reminds you of any of the early prayers perhaps you prayed in desperation. When we try and make deals with God, Lord, if you get me out of this, God, if you provide in this way, if, if, then I'll do this. Again, I don't think God scoffs at this because I bet he can hold up his end of the deal, right? Like, God, I don't think he's thrown. I wouldn't advise putting conditions on things, but God can hold up his end of the deal. But have you prayed those prayers like, God, if, then this will be my responsibility. And it's understandable, but it's completely unnecessary. We don't need to deal, make deals with the creator of the universe, Psalm 51 says it like this, and we got a slide for it. Psalm 51 says, for you will not delight in sacrifice. you got to hit the little top thing on the left that says BKG. There it is. Uh, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it to you. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. What God, he doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. Like, you need to give it, but God doesn't need it. But what it says when we do those deals, what it begins to say is, man, our heart is in a spot where we are broken. And that's what God wants. We're broken where we would begin to make an exchange. Now, we don't need to make some exchange, but it begins to show our hearts, and that's what God's concern is. The sacrifice he wants is this, broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what God wants. He doesn't want to make a deal because, again, we're not adding anything to that. God doesn't need those little things, but he does want our hearts. And it displays this sacrifice, this willingness there. And that's the heart is what God wants. Now, we kind of skipped over, and I just want to bring it full circle because this vision given to Jacob, again, it was a vision of a ladder to heaven, angels on that. It wasn't just meant for him. Jesus is going to bring this full circle in the gospel of John, and this is God's vision to us. I know Genesis 28, but this is, this is for us. In John chapter 1, verse 51, again, this is on the screen, Jesus would say it about this. So this is what I was talking about. He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What that means, church, is that Jesus is the ladder to the Father. That's how we, we cross from death to life. That's how we get to God. It's not some ladder out on some gateway to heaven with some rock propped up in the Middle East. Jesus said, I am in John 14, 6, later on, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is our way that we can be made right with God. He is the ladder that is prophesied and spoken of here, clear back in Genesis 28. And like Jacob, we bring nothing to the equation. We bring nothing to the deal. Let me correct that. All we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes our saving necessary. So if you think that you got to get right, that you got to do some work in order for God to accept you and love you and bring you into the family, let me just say, please, no. Jacob brought nothing. You will bring nothing, and it is to God's glory to just show you that irresistible, like, mercy and grace. You can't pay for it. The price has been paid, and it's been paid through Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve. When he was nailed to the cross, his blood was shed. His body was broken so that we can be forgiven. He said, it is finished. And so there's nothing we can add that would make God love us any more or less in the same way than my children. I love that they bring stuff, but that does not, my love for them is not conditional based on what they can and can't do. I love them because they're my children. So God is willing to adopt us into the family of God if we would just simply confess our sins and invite him in. And so we take the, the Lord's Supper here, and this is really for those that say, your trust is in Jesus. You're part of the family of God. As you take the Lord's Supper today, what we do is you take a piece of the bread and then you take it, and again, that represents Jesus' body, and dip it in the cup. I would just want you to reflect today. Is, is what you're living for worth Jesus dying for? Is this truth of the goodness of God's mercy and grace to us, is it reflective in your living, in your giving? In the, in, in, I would just invite you, if you haven't done this with your your spouse and your kids, please go grab a piece. You can dip it and just move off to the side and just have a moment as your family, as you hold communion to remember what it is that Jesus has done. And with that, put into perspective how we're to respond. And so I invite you to do that. Others though, that's not a good first step. The first step that you would need to take is this is God's vision for your life. Would you take that and make it your own? Would you enter into relationship with him? And again, what it looks like to enter in relationship is acknowledge that we're broken, that we need God in our lives, that we've made a mess of it. And it's only by his grace, the forgiveness that he offers through Jesus, that we can be made right. And if you're wanting to do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite Leaders, you guys can go grab communion and then just hang out. And if somebody looks leader-ish, that's who you can talk to. <laughs> and just pray with them and invite God to do a work in your life. It has to start somewhere. And I'm living proof that it starts somewhere. And it looks pretty immature at first. Bubble gum, pocket cross, need I remind you? It's going to start there. But by God's grace, as we grow in relationship with him, we grow in maturity with him. We can walk in that newness of life, in life to the fullest. And so I'm going to invite the band up and just allow them 
uh, to play. And I'm going to pray over us as they do that. Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you for your goodness to us. That you would send your son, Jesus. That you would send your son, Jesus, for us. And so, God, we thank you that you've made a way. And, Lord, we do want to reflect in that now. And just pray as family units come together and as moms and dads lead out in that. Perhaps those that don't have family here, as connection groups come together, as people come together. Lord, would you help us orient our lives around the only thing that matters, the only thing that will last, that we would orient our lives around you and your truth, your grace, your forgiveness. And so, God, would you bring about perspective by your spirit Would you move in our hearts? And I do just want to invite those that have yet to enter into relationship, that that would be your first step, that you would, this is family here, that we would turn and we would talk and we would pray and just receive Jesus in your life. And so if you would want to do that, I want to invite you, you can come forward, I'll be up here, or one of those communion stations, leader off to the side, just invite you to pray with them and start a relationship. And so as your leisure, you can go to one of the communion tables and then come on back and remain standing in worship.